There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. News Talk 850 WFTL presents Joyce Kaufman, No Restraint. Here's Joyce Kaufman. Now, what's really going on in Israel? Because, of course, the mainstream media always paints Israel as some horrendous apartheid state, and they never actually tell the true story about anything. So I've been putting together notes, reading a lot of commentators, including Yossi Melman and Melanie Phillips, and uh, just you name it, I'll read it, Carolyn Glick, trying to ascertain what's really happening and what this is really all about. Because I think many of us have a deep and abiding love for Israel, but we don't know how to answer questions that are being asked of us when it comes to this judicial reform and the protests that are taking place. Because tens of thousands of protesters in Israel are protesting against the government's reforming the judiciary. And they've spent weeks now marching to Jerusalem, and they're becoming very dangerously agitated over the fact that the Knesset has passed the first provision of the reforms that they intend to pass in total, which abolishes the criterion of reasonableness in judicial review. I mean, think about that. What does reasonableness mean to you? Because I'm sure it means something entirely different to me. So how do you have any kind of judicial review based on reasonableness. The protesters are describing these reforms as a coup, and they're saying they're going to destroy democracy. And that's, of course, how they describe a democratically elected government and a Knesset enacting a proposal that was put to the electorate to vote on at the last general election. Yesterday, or actually it was a couple of days ago, an estimated 200,000 Israelis who support the judicial reforms, mounted a counter-demonstration in Tel Aviv saying that the anti-government protesters were actually trying to mount a coup against the government that was elected and that they were the ones acting to destroy Israeli democracy. And a few days after that, their claim was endorsed straight out of the horse's mouth, as if, as it were. Uh, in the Haaretz Internet English edition, Yossi Melman wrote, a military coup is underway in Israel. This is the unvarnished truth. At the same time, there is an attempt to play with words in order to avoid looking the reality in the eye. The rebels and their supporters are employing euphemisms and resorting to linguistic acrobatics rather than stating unequivocally that there is insubordination among many IDF force reservists. They refer to it instead as ceasing to volunteer. The rebellion is widespread and extends beyond the petitions that have already been signed by thousands of IDF reservists, whether they're in active duty or not, the Mossad and the Shin Bet Secret Service. It also exceeds the thousand or more pilots, the uh, Air Force technical staff and special ops personnel, all of these elite units and Unit 8200 operatives and the technological unit of the intelligence branch 
the military doctors, and more, who have not reported for reserve duty or warned that they will not report if the government's judicial overhaul legislation, which they call regime change, is passed. So there's like a growing trend of so-called gray or white refusal, and that has to be taken into account. In other words, reservists who avoid service on various other pretexts without labeling it as a refusal to serve. Furthermore, the number of junior and mid-level officers, that's lieutenants and captains and majors and even lieutenant colonels, who are declining to extend their regular military service is also on the rise. And this is a serious concern to the IDF manpower dictorate. So it's also a big concern to the general staff and the IDF chief of staff himself. It's more comfortable for everybody involved not to explicitly use the phrase military coup, but if the issue is to be effectively addressed, then the reality has to be faced head on and called by its rightful name. And indeed it must. Some, some people who have been paying attention, like me, realize that this was an attempted coup right from the start. When its leaders called for the Netanyahu government to be brought down, more or less, as soon as it took office. Sound familiar? Well, of course it does. This is what they did to Donald Trump and continue to do to Donald Trump. While some protesters are undoubtedly motivated by a principled, if it's somewhat misguided, opposition to the judicial reform, the leaders of this insurrection made it clear from the get-go that such opposition was merely kind of a useful ploy to sweep aside the Melman and to sweep aside the democratically elected wishes of the public and bring down the government if it got elected. Melman then went on to gloat about this coup and to justify it on the basis that sometimes a democratically elected government has to be brought down by a military coup in order, he claimed, to preserve democracy. And it's worth thinking about the details of this remarkable justification. This is what he wrote. Military intervention in civil society is nothing new and is not unique to Israel. Historically, it has followed two seemingly contradictory trajectories that are actually two sides of the same coin. The first and the more common one is a military rebellion and a seizure of power by a general or some junta in order to install authoritarian or dictatorial rule. The second, of which there are far fewer examples, is a military coup for the so-called sake of democracy. There's a fascinating book called The Democratic Coup d'Etat, published back in 2017 by some Oxford University guys, which is currently describes what's happening in Israel. The French term coup d'etat, writes author Ozan Varol, brings to mind coups that were staged by power-hungry generals who overthrow the existing regime, not to democratize it, but to concentrate power in their own hands as dictators. So we assume all coups look the same, that they all smell the same and present the same threats to democracy. It's a powerful, concise, and self-reinforcing idea. According to him, it's also wrong. The democratic coup d'etat advances a simple yet controversial argument. Sometimes a democracy is established through a military coup. So what examples of such a coup does the book provide? Well, Melman wrote, it traces the history of military coups for the salvation of democracy from the uprising by Athenian sailors on the island of Samos in 411 BC through coups in Europe, Africa, and South America. 
Viral also discusses the Turkish military's role as a defender of democracy since the establishment of the Turkish Republic by Mustafa Kemal Atatürk and the military coup to restore Turkish democracy that occurred in 1960. He also elaborates on the 1974 Carnation Revolution in Portugal, during which officers who returned from the Portuguese colonies revolted against the dictatorial regime in Lisbon and established a democracy by popular consent, with very little bloodshed. This democracy also brought about the independence of the colonies. Another, albeit much less convincing, example that Varal presents is the 2013 deposing of Mohamed Morsi by Abdel Fattah al-Sisi and the Egyptian military out of concern or on the pretext of concern that he was about to institute a theocracy. In the book, Varal identifies several characteristics of democratic military coups. One, the military coup is directed against an authoritarian or totalitarian regime. Two, the military joins the popular resistance against the regime. Three, the tyrannical leader refuses to comply with the opposition's demand that he cede power and the military responds. Four, the coup is organized by a military that relies upon mandatory service and is part of the civilization or the civil national fabric. Five, having carried out the coup, the military arranges for free and fair elections to be held within a short period of time and peacefully transfers power to the democratically elected victors. Varal argues that ultimately, the commonly held view that any coup is necessarily a bad thing, that by definition, a coup is something that harms democracy and stability, needs to be replaced by a much more nuanced understanding of the term. That should raise all kinds of red flags to you. So you got that? Have you spotted the difference with Israel? These were all coups against a tyrannical regime. They were insurrections mounted to wrestle freedom and the rule of law away from regimes which suppress them. Yet Melman uses that as an argument to justify an insurrection against Israel's democratically elected government. This isn't a coup to protect democracy. It's a coup to destroy democracy. Moreover, the claim that the measure passed abolishes the reasonableness criterion in judicial review will usher in a dictatorship doesn't hold water. As Israel Knesset reported on JNS.org, legal experts such as law professor Avi Bell and the lawyers at the Kohelet Forum argue that the Supreme Court's criterion of reasonableness, which was developed after 1993 in a judicial power grab to counter the rise of the democratically elected Likud party, is not anchored in any legal principle and has been used to give the judges powers to strike down laws and ministerial actions unprecedented anywhere else in the democratic world. As for the claim that abolishing this reasonableness criteria will remove Israeli ministers from judicial scrutiny, the Kohelet Forum says this is ridiculous. Kaznit writes, Kohelet also emphasized that contrary to popular belief, the annulment of the reasonableness criteria as proposed by the bill will not prevent judicial review or lead to a violation of human rights. Most of the main review grounds in administrative law will remain. Repealing reasonableness grounds will 
demand of the court that it review decisions based on sound legal grounds and not on the judge's opposing worldviews or preferences and will leave value decisions to the elected officials. Bell observed, with the high court an official legal establishment acting in open contempt of the elected legislature and executive and in open rebellion against any attempt to return legal limits to their power, Israel is already in a constitutional crisis. I know Ben Shapiro says it isn't a constitutional crisis, and one can only hope that they'll come to their senses and maybe uh, Ben Shapiro's right, but it looks like that's not happening. For those opposing reforms, such as the one that was passed, their inescapable position is that they want to have rule by unelected and unaccountable judges rather than rule by democratically elected politicians they don't like. For such opponents, the argument that the proper way to deal with such despised politicians is through the ballot box no longer has any validity. Their claim that they are defending democracy is bogus and Orwellian. They want representative democracy replaced by unbridled judicial power and the power of the streets enforced by the military. I owe Haaretz a debt of gratitude for tearing aside at least one of the veils of obfuscation to call the crisis out for what it is. It's a military coup. And over the past six months, the mass protests in Israel over judicial reform have elicited all kinds of loud cries in the West that Israel's in crisis and its eagerness to identify such crisis. However, the West looks everywhere but in the right direction. Three years ago, French President Emmanuel Macron said, Islam is a religion that is in crisis all over the world today. In a video interview conducted in 2022, which has now gone viral following the latest riots in France, Mohammed Tawhidi, an Australian Shiite cleric and Islamic reformist, pointed out that in general, the Muslim world is doing rather well. The crisis is in the West. While the extremists of the Muslim Brotherhood cannot operate in Muslim countries like Bahrain and Oman, said Tawhidi, they're operating in open in Britain, France, Canada, and even in Washington, D.C. You see, the West imported the garbage promoted by jihadis whom Muslim countries were attempting to neutralize, he said, by allowing in this filth and even amplifying or glorifying it, the West has made its bed and must now lie in it. That grim assessment was simply borne out, amply borne out by the riots in France. The violence broke out after a 17-year-old Muslim boy with a criminal background who was wanted by police was shot dead by a police officer during a traffic stop. This triggered rioting on an unprecedented scale. Does this bring any memories to any of you? For five days, Muslim youths torched large numbers of buildings and vehicles. Jewish businesses and institutions were targeted, including kosher restaurants and food shops. Terrified Jews barricaded themselves into their homes as rioters screamed, damn the police, death to the police, death to France, and death to the Jews. Order was restored only when the Muslim Brotherhood and Islamic drug barons called the youths off the street. People can see that the French president is no longer in control of his own country and that the scale of the Muslim population increase means that France is losing the battle to remain recognizably France. Similar demographic trends are changing the face of other European countries like Germany, Sweden, Belgium, Italy, Spain, and even the UK. 
with indigenous Europeans failing to have enough children to reach replacement rate, those are fears that within a few decades, European civilization will be lost. Europe is one step away from Islamic globalization. That's according to the Algerian writer Bolam Sansei, who told Rien Correy magazine, Islamism, he said, was in the air and in the Wi-Fi that the winds of venality, resignation, and the woke culture push in the right directions. So while Europe teeters on the brink, the United States, we've abandoned our historic role as leader of the free world. Instead, President Joe Biden's administration is supporting the enemies of the West and undermining America's historic allies. Inexplicably, the administration is desperately trying to reach a deal with the Iranian regime that would enable that regime legitimately to build nuclear weapons and would funnel billions of dollars into the regime's coffers to boost its terrorist war against the free world, whether by proxy or firsthand. In Afghanistan, the U.S. is likewise channeling billions into the hands of the Taliban. This is despite U.N. evidence of a symbiotic link between the Taliban and al-Qaeda, which, by the way, is rebuilding itself in Afghanistan. In Britain, Biden snubbed the coronation of King Charles, sunk a potential U.S.-U.K. trade agreement, and backed as the next Secretary General of NATO, Ursula von der Leyen, President of the European Commission. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Over Britain's far better qualified candidate, Defense Minister Ben Wallace. As for Israel, the U.S. continues to fund the Palestinian Authority despite the PA's pay-for-slay rewards to terrorists and their families, as well as its incitement to hatred and the murder of Israelis. The administration actually harasses and bullies Israel over building homes in the disputed territories to which Israel alone is entitled under international law, while it fails to condemn the Palestinians for their regular murder of Israelis and their repeated daily attacks. The administration presumes to lecture Israel about democracy, which it suggests is threatened by the judicial reforms. Yet the U.S. is a country in which an attempted coup was mounted against an elected president through all kinds of black arts, deployed by a corrupt administrative class, and where the same class is currently thwarting a proper investigation of alleged corruption by the Biden family. In the great political and ideological struggle now underway in America, those opposing the British approach are themselves in chaos. In Europe, however, a fight back is underway to save the West that may well transform its political complexion. Many observers believe that the public fury over the Islamization of France will bring the ultra-nationalist Marine Le Pen to power in the presidential election in just three years' time. Last week, the Dutch government was brought down because of its perceived failure to curb immigration, 
Hungary, and Poland, meanwhile, are regarded by liberals as neo-fascist because of their policies to preserve their own culture and traditions. While these countries may be authoritarian and even have a lot of anti-Semitism in their societies, Hungary is arguably the safest place in Europe for Jews right now. Neither country has experienced Islamic terrorism. Although a lot of Muslims in the West simply want to live in peace and prosperity, these achievements by Hungary and Poland are due to the fact that they've largely kept Muslims out. For Western liberals, however, such exclusion is anathema, as it is anything that challenges the dogma of liberal universalism and so-called human rights culture. In fact, human rights doctrine has empowered some very bad people to victimize others. This is the result of the liberal mindset that has hijacked the language and turned words and phrases such as racism, human rights, democracy, and even man and woman inside out. Most of Israel's protesters have gone through the same looking glass. They claim the Israeli government is provoking civil war and ending democracy, yet the government is merely trying to enact its election promises, while the protest masterminds openly call for organized civil disobedience to bring the government down. That government has now junked most of the judicial reforms, one of the few remaining provisions voted into law by the Knesset now is a restriction on the Supreme Court's ability to strike down government actions on grounds of reasonableness. This is being hysterically denounced by opponents as the end of the court's power to check government overreach by reviewing government decisions. That's just untrue. Judges will still be able to review the government's activities, what they won't be able to do is continue to do what they have been doing, hijacking and distorting a principle of law in order to undermine the ability of a democratically elected government to do the job for which it was elected. This is because the legal principle of reasonableness has a specific meaning laid down in a benchmark ruling by the Britain top court in 1983. The ruling stated that a decision is reasonable unless it is so outrageous in its defiance of logic or of accepted moral standards that no sensible person who had applied his mind to the question to be decided could have arrived at it. That's precisely the charge against Israel's Supreme Court and Attorney General in preventing the elected government from carrying out its pledge to the voters insisting on other policies or legitimizing the paralyzing disruption of the country by a movement to bring down the government. Unfortunately, many diaspora Jews have embraced the looking glass description of Israel's crisis. More tragically still, many of the same Jews subscribe to the suicidal undermining of Western culture. And as a result, in the battle lines that are now being formed, many diaspora Jews will be left stranded as Western civilization fights for its survival. The night before the Knesset's vote on the first of the government's proposed judicial reforms, a video filmed on the escalators in Jerusalem's central train station went viral on social media. It showed a great tide of people holding Israeli flags going down one escalator on the way back from protesting against the reforms in Jerusalem and a great tide of people holding Israeli flags going up the other escalator on their way back from demonstrating in support of the reforms in Tel Aviv. 
What was so remarkable and moving was that people on each escalator were leaning over to shake hands with those on the other side in recognition of the importance of putting people before a cause. This image deeply touched many who are horrified by the chasm that has opened in Israel over the reforms. Accordingly, there's a desperate desire for compromise. Most Israelis want to check the powers of the court and legal officials. Most of them, however, want to achieve this by consensus. Unfortunately, there can surely be no compromise with the organizers of the anti-reform protests because for them, the real issue was never the reform itself. As was stated explicitly from the start by former Prime Minister Yair Lapid and others, the aim was to bring down Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's government. One of the main leaders of the protests is another former Prime Minister, Ehud Barak. An astounding video clip has now surfaced showing Barak in March of 2020 addressing Forum 555, a group of retired Israeli Air Force pilots and navigators. Three years before judicial reform was even a twinkle in the Israeli government's eye, Barak detailed for this group a plan for a coup d'etat that would overturn the Netanyahu government and install Barak himself as prime minister and that would manipulate popular populism by such measures as the mass purchase of Israeli flags. Such an uprising, said Barak, had to be presented to the public as a defense of democracy rather than an attempt to get rid of Netanyahu. Democracy is a better dividing line, he said. Support for democracy penetrates deep into the right as well. He went on, I have a friend who is a historian and who once told me, Ehud, they will call on you to lead when dead bodies float in the Yarkon River. But I wish to emphasize that the bodies will not be those of the workers who infiltrated from the territories, nor those of Israeli Arabs. The bodies that float will be those of Jews killed by Jews. You really do have to rub your eyes at this. Here was a man who formerly served as prime minister, was the head of military intelligence, and chief of the IDF general staff, urging a mass insurrection and civil war that he believed would result in Jews killing Jews, because this would bring him to power. When he was challenged about the video, Barack blustered that he also said he had told his friend, it will not happen and they will not call on me. It was also nothing new. Barack claimed since he had repeated this on live broadcast at least three times in the past. So Barack now just happens to be a leader of an uprising that fits every detail of the plan that he set out three years ago to mount a coup by misleading the Israeli public and enlisting them as useful idiots. Are we really supposed to believe that this is just an astonishing coincidence? The plan involved inciting the civilian population to revolt falsely, clamoring that Israel democracy was in danger, and then bankrolling the protests. This Barack video is virtually unknown in America or Britain, where the media hasn't reported it. For the same reason, most Americans and Britons have never read the arguments of law professors who spelled out the absurdity and illegal illiteracy of the claims made by the protesters. In Britain and America, diaspora Jews are lining up against the reforms and parroting the Israel opposition, usually due to ignorance, political prejudice, and the instinct to grovel to the most powerful voices in the public sphere. 
In Israel, the crisis has bitterly divided families and friends, reminiscent of the terrible divisions in Britain and America over Brexit and former President Donald Trump. In each case, the left has been intent on thwarting the democratically expressed wishes of the majority. In Britain, the left tried to stop Brexit because it overturned the progressive dogma. In America, the left was outraged that the deplorables who wanted the restoration of American national integrity and pride had elected a man who pledged to deliver on that agenda. So, as you can see, you probably don't know all the facts about what's happening in Israel, but you can find them out. Read the Jewish News Syndicate and listen to smart people. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.